Good morning to you, brothers and sisters of Community Bible Church. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I was three years old in 1980 when cultural icon Bob Marley offered the world a redemption song, a song of freedom. All he ever had, he said, was a redemption song. That song's impact over the last 40 years is nothing short of global. The inspiration for that song, however, was a speech given by a Jamaican political activist named Marcus Garvey. And I'd like you to hear Garvey's words because his words become the action point, the action item in Marley's song of redemption, the redemption song. Here's, Mar here's Garvey's words. He said this, We are going to emancipate ourselves from mental slavery because whilst others might free the body, none but ourselves can free the mind. Mind is your only ruler, your only sovereign. The man who is not able to develop and use his mind is bound to be the slave of the other man who uses his mind. And I would ask you the question, is redemption emancipation from mental slavery? Can we redeem ourselves and our mind? Is your mind your only ruler, your only king? Is life strictly then a battle of man versus man? Black versus white, rich versus poor, Democrat versus Republican. Now, I praise God this week as I was forced into a text that talks about redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ alone. A particular, relational, eternal redemption. Not only did Bob Marley and Marcus Garvey miss Ephesians 6.12, which says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against powers and but, but against powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Not only do they miss that, worse is that both of those men missed Ephesians 1-7, which says, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins and trespasses. And redemption in Ephesians 1-7 is where we find ourselves this morning at Community Bible Church. We've begun an exposition through the book of Ephesians, written by Paul, will be preaching verse by verse, week by week, honoring the sovereignty of God and trusting in the authority of his word to guide our lives. And just as we're getting started, we've been talking about counting our blessings along with Paul, counting our blessings as he lays them out for us in verses 3 through 14. Paul, in these verses, launches into a song of celebration and praise to God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit for their work in supplying all believers with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I've planned five weeks for us in a sermon series called Counting Our Blessings. Last week, lesson two, we were counting our blessings from the mountaintop blessing, you'll remember, God's electing love. And we saw God's choice or election of believers is the chief blessing from Paul's mind, which, from which flows five additional blessings in verses four through six. Paul praises, he's, he praises God, God's work of electing us in eternity past. And then he turns gears here in verse 7. And he advances his thought, speaking of the work of the Son in the present from verses 7 through 12. Today, we will do well to just look at verses 7 and 8, focusing on the blessing of redeeming grace. That's the title of the message this morning, the blessing of redeeming grace. Paul highlights the work of the Son to redeem those that God elected from eternity past, providing a ransom through his blood, which is the greatest expression of God's grace. Our focus this morning then clearly becomes redemption. And my concern for all of us is the secular worldview baggage 
that we might have brought into this conversation about redemption. Just like Bob Marley, secular psychology believes that redemption is great and it can happen inside of you. Jose Cardona, writing about redemption stories for Psychology Today, says, Redemption stories help us see the potential in others and ourselves. He says, as a mental health professional, Jose Jose says, I help people be better versions of themselves. We need redemption stories to help us see the potential in others and ourselves to grow to move beyond our mistakes and not let past actions hold us back. Redemption stories remind us that change is possible. Bob Kraft, Robert Kraft is the owner of the New England Patriots. He said of redemption, I believe in second chances and giving players an opportunity for redemption. And if I were to bring the conversation back to music, I would mention a quote from a 62-year-old former rapper named Tracy Merrow. He was a rapper in the 1990s known as Ice-T, And he wrote a song called Cop Killer, only later to be found acting the part of a New York City cop in the TV show Law & Order. And here's what Ice-T says. He says, redemption just means you just make a change in your life and you try to do right versus what you were doing, which was wrong. I am thankful that each of these men identified massive failures in mankind requires redemption. But does this collection of secular wisdom articulate the greatest understanding and application of the word redemption? Is the greatest redemption emancipation from mental slavery? Is the greatest redemption you changing into your full potential? Is the greatest redemption a second chance to do what's right, an opportunity to be better? Is the greatest redemption possible through human achievement, Or is our greatest need a redemption that we can't produce? Perhaps the words of two great pastors will offer clarity for us if we are to pursue the greatest redemption. Sinclair Ferguson says, The only thing of my very own which I contribute to my redemption is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. Charles Spurgeon says, the heart of the gospel is redemption, and the essence of redemption is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. Our focus this morning is on the greatest redemption, biblical redemption, the perfect redemption fully accomplished and applied through the blood of Jesus Christ. Man-made, synthetic attempts at redemption will not satisfy your soul and call you into praise of a living God. Our satisfaction today will come from knowing the greatest redemption is guaranteed in the blood of Jesus Christ and given as a gift of God's grace. Our treasure, our riches are found in knowing the greatest redemption is guaranteed in the blood of Christ and given as a gift of God's grace. That's where we're going today. Only in this redemption will your heart sing praise to God like Paul does in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, which we need to read again now. Let's rejoice with Paul, counting our blessings, as it were, marveling at the blessing of redeeming grace that we see in the text. We'll be focusing our time specifically on verses 7 and 8. I'm reading with you from 3 through 14. This is Paul rejoicing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. 
He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graced on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we, who were first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, again to the praise of the glory of his grace. The redeeming grace of God is our focus this morning. Paul is thrilled with God's election, the Son's redemption, and the Spirit's sealing, if you are the adopted children of God, then you must know the riches of God's grace, specifically found in his redeeming grace. As Paul bursts out with a blessing explosion here in verses 3 through 14, he turns from the Father's electing work to the Son's redeeming work, and Paul presents us blessing number 7, the blessing of redeeming grace. Last week I gave you six blessings from verses 4 through 6. Today, I'm going to give you blessings 7, 8, 9, and 10. Blessing number 7, redemption. And from it flows three riches of redeeming grace. Three riches of redemption. What makes redemption so blessed? Such a rich treasure to us. Well, Paul's going to explain. Simple outline for you this morning. Paul's going to explain three riches of redemption. The source of redemption, the scope of redemption, and the sphere of redemption are going to come out of this text. The source of redemption is in his blood. The scope of redemption is the fullness of forgiveness. And the sphere of redemption is God's grace. So we're going to plow through this as our outline this morning. We must know, we must know the full riches of redemption that our heart may burst forth with praise like Paul. Remember, he's a man bound in chains in Rome when he writes this. Redemption is so rich a topic for our hearts. Let's run to redemption in the text again in verse 7. You see there in verse 7, in him we have redemption. Stop right here. I owe you a definition of redemption. What is redemption? And, and why do I keep calling this the greatest redemption? The greatest redemption happens only in him. That's what we're looking at. Redemption found in him. In him looks back at verse 6 where we see Jesus Christ called the beloved. Who is the beloved of God? None other than Jesus Christ. God called out from heaven at Jesus' baptism and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased in Matthew 3 verse 17. The context then, the offering, the opportunity for our redemption is found exclusively in the person of Christ. Second, Paul says, we have the greatest redemption in Christ. We have it. As God's elect and adopted children, we hold, keep, possess redemption. This is a present active verb. It is abiding with us even now and will remain with us. And what is the greatest redemption? It's not simply, as would 
be described in secular terms, the offsetting of a bad effect with something better. That's redemption, but that's redemption on a really low level. We're looking for the greatest redemption. Many think that redemption is just offsetting a bad effect with something better. It's not. It's more than that. It's also not redeeming yourself with just going along with better behavior. You think about that for a second. If you redeem yourself with better behavior, this makes you the redeemed and the redeemer. There's a problem with that. This redemption is trapped in moralism and behaviorism, and we don't want that. That's not the greatest redemption. The greatest redemption is defined in terms of buying back. Now we're getting somewhere with redemption and a definition of redemption. Buying back. Buying back what? Freeing something, someone from distress. Even removing an obligation that someone has by payment. The Greek word agorazo and apolutrosis, these two words capture the definition perfectly. These two words picture the purchase out of a slave market. The purchase out of a slave market. A purchase made to set someone free. Leon Morris says of redemption in in verse 7 in Ephesians 1, he says, there is a payment of a ransom price to secure the desired release. So we're looking at slavery and the securing of a release from slavery. Old Testament has a couple of great examples for us. Where would you go for great examples of release from slavery in the Old Testament? You know that Israel was held captive in Egypt for 400 years. You would see that in the Exodus. We see again with Israel, redemption when they were redeemed out of Babylon and Ezra and Nehemiah. Redemption in the Old Testament. This is national redemption. But let's move to something more specific, something more personal. The greatest redemption is an individual, highly personal redemption. The greatest redemption sees you as the ones who are enslaved. The greatest redemption sees you in bondage, in chains, a slave to your own sin, totally helpless. And the question for you this morning, is that how you see yourselves? Total slaves to sin. Do you see that you were born enslaved to sin? And that's the course of all of humanity, that they're born enslaved to sin. The prevailing secular worldview says that man is born good, man wants to do good, at worst, man is neutral. Have you been to a college campus lately? They say, in your face, how dare you, Christian, tell me that I'm a wicked, evil person in my heart. You don't know me. My God does. He knows you perfectly. He made you. You're born evil, wicked, sin-filled. That is not the biblical worldview that is presented by our secular friends. That is not the redemption Paul is praising God for here in Ephesians 1.7. That is not the redemption offered in Christ. To understand redemption in Christ, we need to know redemption on God's terms. We need Paul's blessing explosion, which gives us three blessings of redemption, three riches of redemption. We come now to the first of those three in our notes. The first of three riches of redemption is the source of redemption. We see as the source of redemption that redemption is through his blood. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The second worst train wreck that has happened in American history happened in Ohio on December 29th, 
1876. There was a poorly designed bridge. It failed. Train cars fell down into a ravine. Of the 160 people on board, 92 people died. These were wooden boxcars. They used oil lanterns for light and coal-fired stoves for heat. And you can only imagine how quickly these train cars burst into flames. A man named Philip Bliss survived the crash and the fires. But not willing to see his wife perish, he went back into the train car to secure her rescue. What an incredibly great redemption if he can get her out. Philip proved unable. He was not the source of her rescue. In fact, neither Philip nor his wife survived. Our problem is far worse than a fiery train car that could kill your body. Our rescue needs far more strength than human hands can offer. Our problem is a soul bound by chains and slavery to sin from which we cannot escape. And I praise God for designing a rescue, a ransom, a redemption that does not come through our own strength, but rather through the perfect, matchless blood of Christ. What does this mean then through his blood? What does it mean through his blood? Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9. Through his blood is a direct reference to Jesus' death on the cross at Calvary. It was there at Calvary that Jesus allowed himself to be murdered at the hands of evil men, though he was innocent. Yet horror that this murder was at the hands of godless men, it was not the full scandal of the cross. You see, on that cross, Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God for all the sin of those God had chosen from before time began to have an eternal relationship with them in love. The redemption of God's elect was planned in eternity past. God knew everything about us in eternity past. He has always known the fullness of the depths of all the sin that each and every one of us want to run headlong into. He's always known them. He perfectly calculated the cost to save all of his elect from their total depravity. And the cost, the cost was nothing more than the precious blood of his own son. The price of sin is blood. And you see that there in chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 22, which says at the end of that verse, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God will not tolerate sin-filled humanity in his presence for all of eternity, will he? If we are able to be with him for eternity, it's got to be according to his plan. The priceless, matchless, infinite blood of a Savior has to be poured out for us, and there's only one substitute, one able, one willing to be our rescue. The blood of bulls and goats offered by Israel for 1,500 years did not satisfy the wrath of God. It is not until Jesus Christ's sinless, matchless blood was shed the remission of sins for God's elect was secured. His was a once-for-all sacrifice paid in his blood, securing the salvation of all of God's elect. You see it, verse 12 of chapter 9, verse 12. He entered, Jesus did, once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Brothers and sisters, the strength of our redemption is built on Jesus' blood being efficacious. Did that word just wake you up this morning? Let me explain. 
efficacious simply means that it works. That in His blood is effective. That, that it sets out and accomplishes that for which it was designed. That it's successful at producing the desired result. And so the question is, is Jesus' blood effective? Does it redeem as intended? His blood is not effective if it merely produces and purchases a possible redemption, which is dependent on man to actuate or to start. That is a weak redemption, if that were the case, to to purchase a possible redemption that we have to secure. In fact, that's no redemption at all, really, when you think about it. A possible redemption is no redemption at all. Because what it does is it leaves billions of countless people dead in their trespasses and sins because they wouldn't choose to receive the redemption that had been applied to them. But it wasn't applied to them if it was a possible redemption. How can Jesus say he has a redemption that won't actually redeem? He can't. And so his blood has to purchase a redemption that actually redeems. We need an actual redemption, a redemption that is efficacious, a redemption that is 100% able to accomplish that for which it was intended to do. And an actual redemption is what you have in Jesus' blood. Not one precious drop of Jesus' blood was shed for a possible salvation. Rather, every drop of Jesus' blood was shed for an actual salvation. He truly did accomplish redemption in his blood for God's elect. And you ask, why? Why? Because Jesus' redemption is a highly personal redemption planned in eternity past for a people that God had set his love and affection on. Paul is not thrilled and overflowing in a blessing explosion to present Jesus as the Savior of a nameless, faceless group of wise people who figured out how to redeem themselves by applying this possible redemption to them, supposedly secured in the blood of Jesus. Rather, Paul is overwhelmed with praise because this is an actual and particular redemption secured in Jesus' blood for God's elect, his chosen to whom Paul is writing. Again, this redemption purchased in Christ's blood is highly personal. The strength of our redemption is that it's highly personal. Mike Riccardi says, Jesus took names to the cross. This is an intensely personal gospel to which we can sing and should sing regularly. My name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. Is that what you say about the redemption through Jesus' blood? Have you found in Christ a redeemer who actually redeemed you? Who actually secured you in your salvation? Who actually paid the full ransom price for your sin and applied the redemption to you? Is his redemption of you intensely personal? Is his love for you eternal? It was for Philip Bliss and his wife Lucy. Those two who died in the fiery train wreck in Ohio in 1876. Philip's trunk, his baggage, somehow managed to survive that fiery crash. And inside was a manuscript with lyrics to a song not yet put to music. But you know this song so well. From the top of the page of his manuscript that was redeemed from the fire, Philip declares, I will sing of my Redeemer. And his wondrous love to me, on the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. He knows his Redeemer. 
This is the praise that we want to be filled with. Praise that knows that Jesus died for me. He knows my name. His blood secured my salvation. Jesus' efficacious blood is blessing number eight. To be filled with the praise of Philip Bliss and Paul, we must understand Jesus' blood as the sole source of our redemption, supplied from eternity past in the infinite mind of God to ransom us from the slave market of sin and perfectly overcome all of our transgressions. Which takes us then to the second of three riches of redemption. Let's look at the second of three riches of redemption that Paul pours out in this text. We'll now look at the scope of redemption. The scope of redemption, full forgiveness. Full forgiveness. What is the extent? What is the range of redemption? How far will this redemption travel? In a parallel phrase further displaying the riches of redemption, Paul addresses the edemic element of redemption. What do I mean by edemic element of redemption? That we're all born in sin because of Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. Our need for the removal of our transgressions. How were our transgressions and sins removed? They were forgiven. Verse 7. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Ever mindful of our humanity, Jesus' redemption includes this special Little love note. Your sins are forgiven. Did you need to hear that today? Your sins are forgiven. You might wonder, is Jesus' gift, in, in Jesus presenting his gift, why make mention of the transgressions? Why make mention of the transgressions? Can't we just be redeemed from slavery and never discuss them again and just run on by? Does that fix the sin problem? You know, parents, you need to understand this. If your child crashes a car because they were driving under the influence of alcohol at age 18, you should not only help with figuring out how the whole insurance bit's going to work, and you'll probably want to put a car back in their possession, but if you don't go back and talk about the DUI, if you don't talk about what started this, the transgression, and you just pay to get them the new car and off to the races again, you miss the whole point. Jesus didn't miss the whole point. This is the beauty of Jesus' riches of redemption. He completely heals our humanity. He knows our need. The need of your child is to not get a new car. The need of your child is to know forgiveness for how broken, messed up they were to get to the point where they crashed the car. We need to know in our heart, in our soul, that we're forgiven. What is the size of our forgiveness? What is the extent of our forgiveness? Psalm 103 paints the picture. Verse 12 of Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 44 verse 22 says, I, I love when God speaks. God says, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Well, that's power. John Calvin shares our forgiveness from God this way. He says, God puts our sin out of his remembrance and drowns them in the depths of the sea. What amount of positive thinking, psychotherapy, and hypnosis can offer such affirmation? I know of none. Kent Hughes, a pastor, recalls the first time that he understood God's forgiveness and the assurance that his sins were fully forgiven by saying this, 
the burden was so consciously lifted that I felt as if I could float. Having spent six years on the central coast of California, I like to equate God's forgiveness to the ocean. It's always there. It's always refreshing, always cleansing, ready to receive all who come. And I always stand amazed at how few people actually go enjoy it. Moreover, I have yet to find a passage in Scripture where God is asked for forgiveness. God's very nature is to be forgiving. And He loves those who call on His name for the same things that He is. The publican said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, in Luke 18, verse 13. And I ask you, is that a question or a statement? Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us in Matthew 6, verse 12. Again, statement or question? Because of redemption, because of the blood of Christ, we positively have forgiveness for our sins. It's the very character of God. Before Philip Bliss died in that train, five years earlier, he was able to provide some music for a song written by a man named Horatio Spofford. Horatio Spofford became uniquely acquainted with grief in 1871 at the loss of his five children, all of them, in one year. In his song, It Is Well With My Soul, Horatio always makes me smile when he said and put together these marvelous and fantastic words. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Forgiveness of all of our sins is the ninth blessing in Paul's blessing explosion, and it is based purely in redemption through Jesus' blood, fixed in the character of God who is forgiving and entirely gracious to those whom he has chosen. That brings us to our third of three riches of redemption the third of three riches of redemption, point three in your notes, the sphere of redemption, God's grace. The sphere of redemption is God's grace. The sphere of redemption is the domain or the realm of redemption, and redemption exists exclusively in the realm of God's grace. We see this in verse 7 and 8 when he says, redemption and forgiveness have come according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Can you sense in Paul's words how intensely personal a relationship Paul has come to know with the God of the universe? What does he mean by lavish? What does he mean by riches? How well does Paul know God's grace? However Paul knows God's grace, we need to know God's grace just the same. And Paul knows God's grace doesn't pass out his grace in fun-sized bags. You get two fun-sized bags. You, you get four fun-sized bags of grace today. Do, does, does that make you feel better than them? Is this the way you want to receive your grace? But you do this. You do this. Fun-sized bags of grace. Once a year, you have to be extra gracious to the nameless, faceless kids you pass out fun-sized bags of candy to who randomly show up at your door demanding candy or else a trick. You reward a threat with grace. Someone will protest and say, but I don't just trickle out my fun bag-sized gifts of grace. I give kids handfuls. Is that grace? Is that grace? 
not even close. If you really want to lavish your faceless, nameless neighbor kids with grace, you would fill your house today from floor to ceiling with candy and keep it open year-round and let the kids swim in the candy in your house and have the candy come gushing out the front doors and out the windows and take with them whatever they want to. And more importantly, you would know their names. God's grace does not come in fun-sized bags. It is lavished on his children whose names are known. God lavishes his grace like whipped cream on the top of my pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. God gives his grace according to his riches, in like proportion to his riches. Housefuls of grace, not handfuls of grace. Way beyond anything that we ask or need. You will never know fun-sized bags of God's grace. God's elect only ever know the lavishing and the full flood of God's grace that he places on us. We are dumped in his domain of rich grace, not sprinkled on it, not sprinkled on by it. Why do we need to be dunked in grace? Well, why couldn't he just sprinkle? Why, why do we need to be dunked and fully immersed in his grace? Because of the depths of our sin. And let me help you understand the depths of our sin. Let's look at a few verses and, and see why we need grace that is lavished on us. Grace that is dunked on us. Housefuls of grace. Let's take a little sin tour through Ephesians. Turn to chapter 2 and we'll look at verses 1 through 3 where you see in chapter 2 verse 1 that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Living according to Satan's desires and the text says indulging yourselves in the lust of your flesh. You can go down to 2 verse 12 which says as a result you were separated from Christ, strangers having no hope and without God in the world. Turn to chapter 4 verse 14. Because it is the case that you've been theological children, tossed around by winds and waves of anti-God doctrines, sold false ideas of God by crafty, deceitful, scheming men. And in verse 17 of chapter 4, you've been darkened in your understanding, excluded from the life of God, hard-hearted, calloused, greedy to practice all kinds of impurity. This is an absolutely desperate picture as you have Paul explain the depravity that lives inside of you. Go back to chapter 2, however, and focus and train your eyes on verse 4. But God, being rich in grace, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us from eternity past, we're not a nameless faceless group, but a people known and chosen from eternity past, that even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Grace is a free gift. You do not make demands on grace. You do not make demands on grace. You do not tell God, trick or grace. You don't say that to him. You, you cannot demand grace of God. Grace cannot be demanded. If grace could be demanded, then it is no longer grace. Do not destroy the meaning of grace by the way that you handle the scriptures and understand salvation and redemption. 
uphold a biblical understanding of the word grace. Grace is something that an owner holds and handles. And grace is something that the owner chooses to burst forth of that owner's free will when that owner wants to because that owner has a desire set and fixed on something that's of value to him. That's grace. And when you realize the depth or hatred and rebellion of God, it's a wonder that any one of us received God's grace and was redeemed at all. That's the wonder. But it also becomes very clear that no one is redeemed by their choice. Redemption is exclusively received as a gift from the realm of God's rich grace. This morning, we have looked intently at three riches of grace, secured in Jesus' blood, offering fullness of forgiveness, and according to God's lavishing grace. How must this message impact your mind and heart? What do you do with this? Turn to Revelation 5. I just have two points of reflection for you this morning. You know, as we walk through this redemption, the, the aim, the focus, what I really want to highlight, and I, and I hope that I've been successful in, and I don't know as you respond to me and we respond to God's word together, I hope that you are in awe of the particular redemption placed on you if you're in Christ. You should be contemplating redemption the whole course of this next week let me ask you, did Philip Bliss, did Philip Bliss enter the burning train car to save a nameless, faceless group of people who were trying to get out? Or did he enter specifically, exclusively for Lucy, his bride? It might make the story more socially acceptable to say that Philip would have, he would have saved anybody. He went in to save anybody, but that's not the truth. Philip had a love relationship with Lucy and it was her rescue that he went in specifically to secure. The truth is, just as Philip died to save his bride, so too Christ died to save his. Both deaths were intensely personal, and their lives given to save the ones on whom they had set their affection. Do you marvel that Christ would die to redeem you? Do you realize the love and the grace God placed on you in his Son, in eternity past, do you know that God knows your name? Second, if your mind is awestruck at this reality of redemption specifically meant for and placed on you, it should lift your heart to the heights of praise and worship to think of your emancipation from slavery to sin that it was secured by the rich grace of God who sent your king to be your savior and redeemer. The heavenly hosts know all about this. And a song goes on in heaven. Revelation 5, 9 records the words, capturing the most glorious praise offered to Jesus for his redemption. And they sang, verse 9, a new song saying, worthy are you, to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign upon the earth. One day this will be our heavenly chorus as well. And today we find ourselves rejoicing like Paul and singing like Philip Bliss whose song I will sing of my Redeemer added this declaration 
Philip put these words down on the page. He said, I will tell the wondrous story how my lost estate to save in his boundless love and mercy he the ransom freely gave. To truly sing a redemption song is to know the Redeemer and the riches of his redeeming grace. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, receive all the lavishing grace of God's redemption. May it flood your heart and fill you with great joy, certainly today, but from here on into eternity. Will you pray with me? Father, these truths, these riches of redemption are incredibly much for us to bear. Who are we that you would place your love and favor on us from eternity past? And this is your plan. This is what your word says, and, and we marvel at it. I hope that we marvel at it all the days of our lives. To know that you had set your loving favor on us in a very particular way from before eternity began, and to be down here on this wicked, sin-filled earth, knowing my own flesh, and to have you work this out through me and through each and every one of us is unbelievable. But we do recognize that your word says this. We stand on the authority of your word. That the power of the blood of your son did purchase this, and the person who is the Holy Spirit does live inside of us. And because of these realities and these truths, Father, we receive your word very heavily today on our heart. Let us be those who are filled with praise and worship and obedience and love all the course of the days of our life to the point that you, just as you secured us in eternity past, will secure us into glory where we will be with you forever. Let us think these thoughts over the course of this week.